Welcome to Madam's Hoes and Gigolos, a podcast about the history of sex work and historical events surrounding sexual revolutions. I'm your host, Heather, and with me is my friend, Connor. Together, we've created a bi-weekly podcast discussing all topics in regard to history and sex. In this episode of Madam's Hoes and Gigolos, we're going to discuss Ah Toy, an immigrant who chose her profession and successfully navigated her way through San Francisco's racist and corrupt legal system. So I was researching Atoy and I kept hitting dead ends on this subject. And then our friend Carolina had sent a book, Soiled Doves, that was on our wish list. And the first chapter I opened to ironically mentions Atoy, which then helped me guide myself into other searches, which ultimately leads to this topic of the podcast. What perfect timing. Right. I feel like it was just fate. It was destiny. It was kismet. Now, that's actually a name that I hadn't even heard of before. What made you want to look her up in the first place? I was trying to look for women of color, preferably Asian women, Mm -hmm. considering the political climate right now. And I wanted to show the history. And it was really hard to find because there's not many historical records kept on Asian immigrants from when they started coming over in the 1840s. So I would hit a lot of dead ends and then... I was given a Hail Mary from Carolina. How cool is that, that that one of our listeners came to the rescue without even knowing it? Right, without, no idea. And as soon as I opened the book and then it was just like fate because it was right there, Chinese immigrants coming through through the gold rush and then there she was mentioned and it just gave me more, more information that I could start Googling and then I found so much information on her. So Carolina, thank you for sending the book. This is for you. How cool is that? So if you guys want to help with the podcast, we've been getting a lot of books in, but we could always use more. We do have an Amazon wish list that's available. So if you're interested, we'll have a link for the wish list in the show notes. And um, we're excited to, I've been excited to receive the books that have been coming our way. Yeah. Heather sent me a picture this morning of like six books that came in. So we've got the next few episodes kind of cut out. Right. Well, we even we have um, June coming up and I definitely wanted to focus on members of the LGBTQIA community. And we have um, we have a crossover we're going to do with my friend Les in June, who I did the reality reading rainbow podcast with. Mm -hmm. He's going to come on ours and talk about William Dorsey Swan, who is some somebody I've really wanted to. In fact, I would say he's probably one of the people why I started this podcast. He was a former slave and then the first drag queen. No way. Yeah. And uh, Les does a one man show about him. And so he'll be coming on and discussing William Dorsey Swan. How exciting. It is. So we've got lots of things planned. In fact, I think we're kind of planned out until July. That's awesome. I would say so. Well, let's get talking about Ah Toy. Between 1848 and 1855, California had hit it big when gold was found at Sutter's Mill in Colma, California. The gold rush was the largest mass migration in U.S. history, and by 1850, 25% of California's population were born outside of the United States. In 1952, 25,000 immigrants from China had arrived in America. The gold rush was a male-dominated event. 92% of the people prospecting for gold were men. The amount of gold began to diminish, miners increasingly fought one another, and anti-immigration tensions began to grow. 
1850, California's legislator passed a foreign miners tax that required non-U.S. citizens to pay $20 a month for the right to mine in the state. That's equivalent to more than $500 today. Holy smokes. And it was collected only from Latino and Chinese miners, while the European miners were not forced to pay it. This tax sent Latino Americans back to their home country, and immigrant miners were protesting. So in 1852, the legislator brought the tax back down to just $4 a month, which is equivalent to $80 today. That bill, however, singled out just the Chinese miners. Violence against foreign miners increased at that time, as well including beatings, rapes, murders. In 1849, a Cantonese woman arrived in California, becoming the second known Chinese woman to arrive in California and the first Chinese prostitute in California. The Atoy arrived in California from Hong Kong in 1849. She was a tall, well-dressed woman wearing traditional Chinese garb, and she had tiny feet that were bound, which in Chinese society was the mark of an upper-class status. So do you know anything about bound feet, Connor? I've seen it in movies, and it seems like torture, like you're keeping your feet tiny, right? So... It was a trend that started with Emperor Li Yu, who reigned during the Southern Tang Dynasty of 937 to 975 AD. In 970, the emperor reportedly saw his favorite consort dancing on a golden lotus pedestal and was entranced by her feet, which she wrapped in these strips of cloth, much like that of a ballerina on her pointy toe. So her dance appeared more beautiful, seeing the emperor's pleasure. Other court maidens wrapped their feet in a similar fashion. Soon, upper-class women adopted the fashion, and eventually it spread to all women, no matter their social status. Is this kind of the, the first documented case of a foot fetish? I, I guess I would, I would say yes, it was. I mean, there's nothing in the Bible about that, right? I, I'm not too familiar with the Bible, so yeah. I don't really know if I can answer that. Me neither, but if anybody knows if there's any weird foot fetish stuff in the Bible, let us know on Instagram. Definitely let us know. So do you know what the process takes to have your feet bound? I do not. Okay, well, first your feet are plunged into hot water and the toenails are clipped short. Oh, already sounds torturous. Then the feet are massaged and oiled before all the toes, except the big toe, are broken. And then bound flat against the sole, making a triangle shape. It sounded so good when you said that they were massaged and oiled until you said that the toes were broken. Just wait. Next, the arch is strained as the foot is bent double down. Finally, the feet are bound in place using silk strips measuring 10 feet long and 2 inches wide. The wrappings are briefly removed every two days to prevent blood and pus from infecting the foot. Sometimes, excess flesh was cut away or encouraged to rot. Oh my God, you guys should see Connor's face right now. The girls were forced to walk long distances in order to hasten the breaking of their arches. Over time, the wrappings became tighter and the shoes smaller as the heels and the soles were crushed together. After two years, the process was complete, creating a deep cleft that could hold a coin in place. Once a foot has been crushed and bound, 
the shape could not be reversed without a woman undergoing the same pain all over again. I am shocked to hear that because you made it sound like this is something for high society. This is like a very desirable thing that women would want to go through. Women want to go through it because the emperor liked this and they wanted their shot. And then it was just a tradition that kept going throughout the years because a small foot in China was no different than a tiny waist in Victorian England. It represented the height of female refinement. For families with marriageable daughters, foot size translated into its own form of currency and the means of achieving upward mobility. So the smaller the foot, the higher the social ladder you climb. Hmm. The most desirable brides possessed a three-inch foot known as the golden lotus. It was respectable to have four-inch feet, a silver lotus, but a five-inch or longer were dismissed as iron lotuses, and the marriage prospects for such girl were dim indeed. How crazy is that? I, I would think that it makes it harder to walk, too, like harder to keep balance with tiny little, like walking on little peg legs. Yeah, I would imagine that it, it, it was harder to walk. I mean, I wear a size eight and a half, sometimes nine. I wonder where my status would be. I don't think <laughs> I don't think a prince with an emperor would look at me. No, not with those clown feet. <laughs> oh, no. Unfortunately, this custom took hold. It morphed. Women wanted even smaller, more curved feet, and so the foot binding process was created, achieving a highly arched three inch foot. The practice thrived for a thousand years until it was outlawed in nineteen twelve. Wow, so over 100 years ago. I didn't realize yeah. it had been around that long. Right, something that happened before in 900-something AD to 1912, that was a practice. So there are no pictures of Atoy. The photo on our Wikipedia page is actually Polly Bemis, who's another brothel owner who was won in a poker match. We'll discuss her on another episode. Well, Atoy was a determined and intelligent woman, and she frequently used the San Francisco Recorder's Court to protect herself and her business from exploitation. Not much is known about her childhood or her upbringing, just that she was born in May of 1829 and married. She came to America with her husband, who died during the voyage to California. She then became the mistress of the ship's captain, who spoiled her with gold and gifts. With his gifts, she was able to get herself a small two-room apartment. She noticed that men were noticing her, once describing her as, quote, the strangely alluring Achoy, with her slender body and laughing eyes. She was romanticized by many within the society around her and also stigmatized due to her race. Men were fetishizing her and drawn to her exotic looks. The men from the States had often been told that the celestial women were different, that a discrete part of the anatomy had a different orientation from east to west, rather from north to south as the European race. Are you saying what I think you're saying? Are we talking about the female anatomy being more of a smile than a... Yeah. Yeah. They were saying that it, the fem, the, they were definitely describing that the, the female anatomy on a Chinese woman was going from left to right instead of front to back. Kind of like a smile. Okay. And just so we're on the same page, not true, right? I've never seen him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I would, I would, <laughs> I'm going to say no. So a toy decided to capitalize on the men's attraction for her and eventually became the highest paid prostitute in San Francisco. 
Atoy added a platform in one of the rooms and peepholes in the wall. She hired a large Chinese man to collect an ounce of gold from each eager customer. And when all the holes were occupied, she would appear on a small stage, wearing a form-fitting silk kimono with slits up both sides from her the hem to the waist. Wow, an ounce of gold. An ounce of gold. Today, that's worth like 1800 bucks. Is it? Yeah. Oh, I, I thought it was just 16 back then, but now, I mean, obviously, well, 16 well, then is a lot now. Well, unfortunately, we're not on the gold standard anymore. And so as we continue to print more money, um, the it fluctuates. exchange, yeah. So underneath, she was totally nude. And with each movement, her shapely body would expose driving these female starved men mad. The show would only last for minutes, but within three months, she would have a line of men waiting down the block to see her. She was even labeled the vulgar Chinese term lingerie, which means woman always holding leg up. Atoy propelled herself into a world of wealth, social and legal power, and gold rush San Francisco. Now, I'd like to say that she was a creator of the, quote, peep show, but she's not. She was, however, the first in California but voyeuristic peep shows emerged in the mid-17th century with traveling exhibitions. Within the first year of her arrival, she sought justice with the San Francisco legal system. Atoy's first appearance in court was in 1849. It was not as a result of her entrepreneurial activities, but instead the consequence of a letter received by Chinese leaders. The letter claimed to be from her husband in Hong Kong, asking her to be returned. Atoy explained to the court that she was not married, and that she came to this land to better her condition. She requested to remain in California, and the judge agreed. Her first experience with the judiciary was a favorable one, and no doubt contributed to her willingness to take issues to court. So some random guy from Hong Kong said, my wife is there, and she just said to the judge, I don't know this guy, my husband died. Yeah, I wonder if it was some random guy in Hong Kong or some Californian guy that just didn't like her and, and faked the letter and said, hey, you know what? I'm from Hong Kong. I need her back. We need her gone. Who knows? Yeah. But she she was able to convince the judge to let her stay. How savvy. Yeah. She will find out she's a very savvy woman. Her appearance within the court created almost as much of a stir as the allegations. She stood before a judge wearing an apricot satin jacket, green pantaloons, colorful socks covering her tiny feet, and had her hair in a bun and skin padded with rice powder, making her look exceptionally white. Newspapers were fascinated by this woman. She was one of two Chinese women in the city, but the newspaper focused on her physical appearance and what she was wearing, helping Atoy explode to great fame. I wonder if that's the equivalent today of how when Lady Gaga first exploded on the scene, a lot of people were into her music, but it was also like, hey, did you see that crazy thing that she wore at the Grammys? I think it was she was she was kind of something new that they've never seen. And there she's coming in with these silks and, you know, this bringing in her culture that people were never exposed to. And they're just gawking. Yeah, it would almost Not, be like seeing a space alien. Like this is really different. Like now we have this right. kind of diversity here. Right. Now they're they're seeing a different side of, of the world. Right. Never before has the city seen a Chinese woman gain social or political prominence. Later, in 1849, Atoy returned to court, this time with a grievance against some of her customers. It seems that in exchange for entertainment they received, few paid with brass fillings instead of gold. 
And when asked to produce proof of this allegation, Atoy left the courtroom and shortly returned with a china basin filled with brass fillings. Wow, the nerve of these guys. When asked who defrauded her, Atoy physically pointed her finger to several men in the courtroom, outing them for their discretions. However, the courts decided that she was unable to provide proof that the individuals that she named were the culprits, so the case was dismissed. Atoy's next court appearance was not of her choosing. Her alley was also populated by, quote, several nice shanties occupied by respectable men, the majority of whom were obliged to move away on account of the nuisance. So several of these residents filed a complaint against her, and those charges were dismissed. Coincidentally enough, five Chinese prostitutes arrived by boat. Atoy acquired two of them. She then moved to a larger accommodation on Pike Street, another alley off of Clay, where she assumed the role of madam. So let's get this straight. So she was taken to court for being a nuisance. And then more girls came in and she was like, okay, well, they're already mad. I'm just going to move into something bigger and better. Yeah. So instead of seeing them as competition, she kind of acquired them and built her business to be even bigger. Right. And then the, the neighbors who were mad because a lot of men were populating, she's like, all right, I'll just move to a different a different part of the city and run my business somewhere else. Screw y'all. Yeah. The Chinese population in San Francisco was 12,000 men and seven women, six of them prostitutes. Wow. 12,000 men and seven women, one of whom was unavailable to most of those guys. Yes. So do the math and we're looking at 2,000 men per prostitute. Mm -hmm. So that's some uh, fierce competition like the demand is pretty high right and for people who are wondering who is this the, this one chinese woman she was um unnamed in the immigration paperwork but she was also a house worker for a family so she came with the family and wasn't mentioned her name wasn't mentioned but she was working with a family that immigrated to california on May 22, 1850 the alta newspaper reported that atoy married in sonoma to a Mr. Henry Conrad. Then a few months later, she took a lover and left her husband. Atoy, being a madam, married, and then leaving her husband, she was financially and socially defying gender roles that limited her. Well, her glory days didn't last long, and by 1851, racial tension was brewing. A group of 700 like-minded, native-born Protestant men who were policemen, politicians, basically angry white men with power, mad at this influx of immigrants, formed the San Francisco Vigilance Committee. They banded together under the guise of, quote, imposing law and order on a city that saw little of it through the police force. So these are just random vigilante... Men with power deciding they're going to join a club. Immigrant fighters. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. A form of white supremacy? Seems so. The group supposedly gathered under the good intentions to rid the city of rampant crime, However, its main focus was anti-violent immigrants, but started to shift focus to anti-Chinese prostitution. That's quite a focus. And prostitution's not illegal at this time. Right, and it's not hurting anybody. It seems to be a very needed thing in that area. It does. It does seem. It's, so it's not illegal. It's needed because the, the men-to-women ratio, but they decided they wanted to shift their focus and go against... Chinese immigrants and okay. brothels. And just so we have the numbers right, this is a group of 700 men, which still leaves 11,300 men that had no problem with this. 
Yes. Okay. But they didn't have the power. These were a very vocal minority that were big into politics and the yes. community. Yes. This committee engaged in policing, investigating disreputable boarding houses and vessels deporting immigrants and parading its militia. Four people were lynched by this committee. One was whipped, a common punishment at the time, and 14 were deported to Australia. Keep in mind that between 1788 and 1868, convicts were shipped to Australia. Now, that's something that I thought that the British did, but we did that from the United States, too. We did. And this reminds me of the floating brothel Lady Juliana, which was a ship that transported 200 women convicts to Australia. It was a 10 month journey. And when the ship would stop at ports, people would come on board and the women would sell their services. And the ladies would also keep their earnings and give some to the crew. And then the crew would take a wife for the journey. Anyways, by the time they arrived in Australia, there were like only five deaths as opposed to the many other deaths that they had transporting these convicts to Australia and seven births. So I had put this on the wish list for because I always thought it was an interesting story. And just today, Kristen Yee sent us this book from our Amazon wish list. So this is going to be a topic we're discussing soon because I wanted to. And then the book came today. And so I feel like just like with Carolina sending this book on an Atoy being mentioned as I'm trying to find information. I'm like, okay, this is another Hail Mary. Yeah, this is awesome. So there were 200 women that were sent to Australia as convicts. And between them and the crew, this ended up being like kind of a party cruise. It was, it did. And but every people returned healthy. There were only five deaths and they would make money because when they went to port, they would let the people come onto the boat yeah. and you know, the women were allowed to to solicit themselves and then they would give some of their earnings to the crew. And yeah, then, give some of their earnings or were they being pimped out by the crew? Um, Well, I, they were also having relationships with the crew too. So instead of having to sleep in their cells, they were going into the crew's beds and sleeping with them at night. So it kind of was like playing house for 10 months. And then they came to Australia and Australia was mad because they thought they were getting goods, but instead they got a bunch of women. Yeah, you know, it, it also doesn't seem that five deaths which is tragic over the course of 10 months i feel like at that time if you were to take 200 healthy people with nobody having any kind of sexual interactions you still might experience five deaths just out on the sea for 10 months right i mean with no medical intervention and even this being the the time it was i mean five deaths is pretty is on the low side compared to other other ships that took took convicts to Australia. Yeah. So after establishing herself as an important political figure through her sex work, the San Francisco Vigilance Committee starts a special patrol and assigns John A. Clark to specifically deport Atoy. However, to quote Oscar Wilde here, everything in the world is about sex except sex. Sex is about power. And Atoy seduced John A. Clark, becoming his lover and she would spend generous amounts of money on him to protect herself from the racist attacks and being deported. This relationship gave Atoy a socio-political connection she needed to avoid the vigilance committee. Well, that worked out in her favor, didn't it? Right? She was able to seduce the man that was trying to get her out. In 1852, John Clark had beaten Atoy for casually mentioning to another that she was his mistress. She appeared in court with rips in her dress and both eyes blackened. Even though she spent thousands on him, she never asked for her money back. 
She just asked to have the judge make little Johnny apologize to her. So she just wanted some accountability. Right. And got it. No, no, he couldn't make her apologize, so he couldn't do it. Okay, so she at least brought him to court and was able to prove that this guy who was the special prosecutor in charge of prostitution for this vigilance committee was, in fact, hooking up with prostitutes. She was able to out him, yeah. And I imagine if he was this mad about her telling somebody that they were having a relationship, now she's bringing him to court. But she only wants the apology. She doesn't want anything else from him. And I don't even know if she even really wanted the apology more so than just to, hey, guys, guess what? I was able to conquer him. Yeah, and this was on the record. Yes, yes. I mean, that's kind of badass. I think so. So also during this time, the Chinese mafia, known as the Tongs in San Francisco, did not like her because she took a big part of their turf and they wanted a piece of the pie. So they start threatening her and try to extort her and the women that work for her, basically saying that Atoy has to pay them protection money. Despite the growing bigotry that she was facing within the legal system, she took the Tong mob boss to court for attempting to tax her and her employees in order to control them, serving as her own counsel. And guess what? She won her case. So she was able to seduce somebody trying to deport her. Now organized crime Chinese mafia is coming at her. And now she's taking to the court and saying, nope, you're not getting shit from me. And then won. Yeah. Now these guys probably don't usually work within the confines of the legal system because what they do is very illegal. So again, she put it on the record and said, I'm not paying you. Right. I do business for myself. I pay my own taxes. Thank you very much. Right. I mean, this is a woman with a lot of punch. Yeah. So again, in December in 1851, Atoy had appeared in court, this time accusing customers of stealing a diamond brooch from her. She said the value of the brooch was worth $300. The newspaper, the Alta, printed testimony that explained the suspect ran with the brooch. A toy pursued him herself and was too swift for him, seizing him by the collar very much in the style of police officers and demanded the pin. Bystanders, after witnessing the incident, took the suspect to the police station. So, okay, let's start this again. She was able to out the the crooked person who was sleeping with her that was supposed to deport her Mm -hmm. took on mob bosses Uh trying to take her money and now she single-handedly caught somebody who stole from her she physically chased this guy down and tackled him right she's kind of a badass she is a badass are are we getting that yet (laughs) she she was a chinese immigrant able to navigate and be comfortable with the american legal system that it wouldn't benefit her normally because of her occupation and her race She was bold, courageous, and strong. By 1852, she became deeply involved in the sex trade, bringing girls and women from China to work for her. Several ships would bring in Chinese prostitutes during the year upon each ship's arrival. So Atoy would be there to inspect the girls in the barracoon. This is an enclosure or barracks formerly used for temporary confinement of slaves or convicts. And this is where the girls were stripped and examined by prospective buyers. The going price ranged from $300 to about $3,000. Atoy would attend each new showing at the Barracoon. Sometimes she acted as an agent for other Chinese houses, and sometimes her purposes were just to expand her own establishment. With the arrival of several hundred Chinese girls, she opened up a string of brothels. The number of women and girls Atoy employed 
is impossible to number. Some of these girls were as young as 11, either kidnapped for trafficking or sold by their parents. Later this year, Atoy would go to court, but this time to defend an employee of hers who assaulted her client for failure to pay. She was not successful in exonerating her employee. Starting in the 1850s, the de facto anti-Chinese sentiment was legalized in California by the state Supreme Court. First, they imposed a foreign minors tax, which was intended to disempower Chinese and other minors of color. Once that was deemed unconstitutional in 1852, a foreign minors license tax was imposed. These laws didn't have any effect on Atoy. Why not? She was never a minor. She was a brothel. She was, she was a business for the minors. In 1854, when the U.S. court system passed the People versus Hall ruling, the California Supreme Court made it so the people of Asian, African, or Native American descent could not file a suit in a court of law and were not allowed to testify in court. Now, the crazy thing about that is that a lot of people are immigrants and there's plenty of anti-immigrant sentiment. You know, you can't run for president. There's a lot of things that you can't do. But the Native Americans, like those people were there before the Im- before any of the immigrants. And they, they took their rights away because of the, the color of their skin. I'll never understand it. This is in addition to Ordinance 546, which was to suppress houses of ill fame within city limits. So this act declared that Chinese prostitution was a public nuisance and it invalidated leases on their property. In fact, they made it a misdemeanor for landlords to even rent their property to anyone who wanted to use it as a brothel. Even though prostitution was legal, police only enforced this ordinance with Chinese or Mexican brothels. With this ordinance, despite Bellacora, another brothel owner who was white, having owned a parlor house only blocks away, Atoy was arrested for keeping a disorderly house, convicted and fined $20. Atoy was arrested several times more over the span of three years. With the law passing People versus Hall, Atoy was unable to defend herself in court. Ugh, someone so savvy with the U.S. court system was Now barred, was silenced. Barred from defending herself in court. But she did have legal counsel, like a public defender? Nope, nobody. She was, nope. She couldn't have anybody. She was pure, I believe the verbiage said when I read, to testify. That's a little bull. I'll tell you what. This is the history they don't teach us in high school. So Atoy sold her house and possibly left San Francisco, only to return in March of 1859, and once again arrested for disorderly housekeeping, and was arrested again later that year for beating one of her employees. After her arrest in 1859, she moved to San Jose, which is about 40 miles south of San Francisco. She married a wealthy Chinese man and became a socialite within that city. After her husband's death, she started selling clams until her death on February 2nd, 1928, literally three months shy of her 100th birthday. And I found this information because I actually found her obituary. Atoy would certainly be remembered by her customers, but the legacy that she left in San Francisco is far greater than her collection of men. Being one of the first Chinese women in a city of mostly men, and despite the social pressures to submit to the will of an emerging white patriarchy, she operated a successful brothel for more than a decade and lived an incredible life. Though her trafficking and mistreating girls and women that she employed are illegal, according to today's standards, 
Her independence and her tenacity were exceptional. I would definitely say she is a tenacious woman. Yeah, a real go-getter and successful in pretty much everything that she attempted. Right, coming to a foreign country and able to conquer it in the way that she did definitely is admirable. And with with everything against her, she was definitely able to prevail. I mean... In most cases. In most cases, but taking on a mob boss, that's pretty fucking badass. Yeah, and taking on the... person who had the authority to like get her deported to seduce you yeah and then to take you to court and just i just want an apology yeah i mean i live for that kind of petty (laughs) well this was a pretty exciting episode about someone who until recently i had not even heard of right i mean thank you carolina for sending us the book and opening this door and thank creating this this episode essentially also thank you to the listeners of madam's hose and gigolos Every episode, we like to highlight a charity for possible donations. This episode, we would like to suggest Stop AAPI Hate, Asian American Pacific Islander. Their approach recognizes that in order to effectively address anti-Asian racism, they must work to end all forms of structural racism leveled at Black, Indigenous, and other communities of color as well. StopAAPIHate.org. Link will be in the show notes. Since the pandemic started, there has been a massive spike in racist attacks in just a few weeks. Those looking to financially support folks and communities targeted by racism can do so in many ways, one of which would be donating funds to organizations that promise to do just that. If you like what you hear, don't forget to hit the subscribe button and share us with your friends. We love five-star reviews, and we see a lot of them on Apple Podcasts. Thank you. If you have a topic suggestion, send us a DM at our Instagram and it's Madams, Hoes, and Gigolos. Hoes spelled H-E-A-U-X. Our wish list will also be in our show notes. And thank you for the books, and thank you for the subscribes, and thank you for the shares and everything, and thank you for listening. We'll see you on the next one. Thank